one. What's good, everyone? Coach D here, The Shift Method. Got another podcast for y'all. We're going to start off 2022 with a friend of mine, former colleague from Purdue University, and that is my man, Robert. Robert, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, hi. So like Damian said, name's Robert Dichella. Uh, I am currently a JV hockey coach at Notre Dame College Prep High School, as well as the strength and conditioning coach for the entire hockey program. Um, I was a personal trainer and D1 strength and conditioning intern while at Purdue. I worked in sports strength and conditioning post-graduation, and then I switched into personal training at Equinox for about a year before taking on the current role. Um, yeah. Also working on my MBA in sports management currently. Yeah. So as you can see, Robert's got a lot of experience in the exercise science and kind of the, you know, fitness business world. Uh, we came to know each other at uh, Purdue, Purdue university at that rec center and the personal training program. And if you couldn't tell by his wonderful accent, Robert is originally from Chicago, right? Uh, Robert, I just learned recently that y'all have an issue with like hot dogs and ketchup. What's up with that? I personally like it. There we go. My (laughs) go-to hot dog is pickles, onion, and ketchup. Now we're talking. That's something I can get. Mustard. No, I want no part of mustard, (laughs) no part of relish, especially that neon green relish they put on here. Like, no. But there is a, there's a hot dog place right by me that they don't have ketchup in the building. And if you go to the McDonald's next door, they sell a pack of ketchup for a dollar. They charge you for ketchup. ketchup. Oh my God. I, I mentioned this because again, Midwest folks listening, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant. I'm just learning. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago with some other Purdue people. And like, they had a fun question at the end. It was, are ketchups meant to be on hot dogs? And I was like, what kind of, what kind of question is this? And there was like, no, in Chicago, you don't do that. And Brendan was on it. And he's like, I'm forced to say right now that you can't put ketchup on hot dogs. I'm like, this is, this is silly, man. So I'm glad someone is standing up. Yeah. What's Born right. and raised in the city, not the suburbs. I put ketchup <laughs> on hot dogs. There you go, folks. The real way to do it. Sugar-free but, ketchup though. Oh, there you go. Sugar-free. A little different, right? <laughs> but no, man, in all seriousness, thank you for coming on. Folks, we're going to talk about some really cool things today. Um, we're going to revisit a little bit about bodybuilding, which I talked about with Elias in my very first podcast way back when, but Robert has a little bit of a unique background as well, not just in bodybuilding, but also in the sport of hockey, playing, playing pretty you know, competitively at the college level. Um, so before we get into all that, Robert, can you kind of just go over like how you yourself got into fitness and ultimately got into like the personal training slash fitness profession? Yeah. So growing up, always always playing sports, always an athlete, um, played hockey, baseball, uh, gymnastics, lacrosse, um, and into high school, kept doing gymnastics, kept playing hockey, picked up lacrosse. And those all continued until college where I started playing college hockey at Purdue. Um, so I was always pretty active and gymnastics actually gave me probably my foundation for bodybuilding and exercise. Um, but going into college, I got second impact syndrome with concussions. So I was sidelined for half my senior year of hockey. And I pretty much started working out and lifting to be able to regain my endurance, put on some muscle to be able to play at the college level without risking concussions. 
Right. Um, so that was sort of like the initial goal. Like I would just go to the gym, try to put on muscle, try to gain some weight, get back into running anything really to just feel better and be ready for like tryouts at Purdue. Um, had no intentions of ever competing in bodybuilding or getting into bodybuilding. That was never like the interest. Um, but then going to Purdue, started going to the rec center, just kept working out, playing hockey, um, was in athletic training as my major freshman year. Uh, and that's sort of what I thought I was going to do the entire time there is like athletic training, like help out with the D one sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes all my time away basically. Um, but after freshman year, I didn't get into the program. I was the last one cut from that program, oh, which is when I switched to kinesiology. Um, and it was sort of like that sort of lit a fire under me to like change something. Um, it was like that sense of rejection. Like I went yeah. home for the summer and I don't know, I put on like 10, 15 pounds that summer, just in the weight room. And that's sort of where I like, like I liked lifting and like working out before, but I think that's the summer I sort of like fell in love with like fitness, like health and fitness more so as like the mental escape, mm-hmm. not so like how physically you felt, but how mentally just clearing it felt. Um, so just kept working out, kept working out. And by junior year, I think the weight room took priority over hockey. <laughs> it was like, I lift and then I play hockey instead of I play hockey and I lift for hockey. Right. Um, so it sort of started taking over from that. And one of my buddies just was like, Hey, I think you do great in a bodybuilding show. You should check it out. I was just like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to get on stage, put board shorts on, wear a thong, whatever, and dance around up there. <laughs> like, Oh no. He's like, it's, it's really not that bad. Like if you want to just like come to this gym by me, uh, Chicago barbell compound, which is where I go now. Um, he's just like, I'd just show you some posing, you know, see how you like it, whatever. And go from there. And after that, I pretty much started a prep prep for one show COVID hit that show got canceled a week out. So I was 11 weeks into that prep, took a full year off prepped again for a show. So first actual show in the MPC placed top three in my class and then placed fourth in novice out of 21. So right now just getting ready for the next prep to start. Very cool, man. Thank you for all that back. It's funny you say how like the lifting sort of like overcame the hockey because most athletes, I mean, serious ones do enjoy the weight room, but you usually hear it's the other way around where it's like, I lift to improve my sport. Whereas you kind of went the other way. You're like, nah, lifting's kind of becoming my thing, man. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it was because my junior year, our hockey season got canceled. So the team was put on probation that year. So I wasn't really able to play and we were just practicing. Right. So it was just all my time was in the weight room now. So. And correct me if I'm wrong in hockey. I mean, obviously it can happen to anyone in any sport, but you were getting a little beat up for a minute there. Right. With like just some like injuries popping up here and there. I have seven concussions separated both shoulders twice broke my wrist. So yeah. Yeah, that'll, of injuries that'll do it. Seven concussions is six too many, man. So that makes complete sense. Seven too many. <laughs> I've had one and yeah, it, it was, uh, it was not fun. You know, not knowing where you are for a, a good couple, at least for me, it was only a couple of seconds, but in hockey, I imagine they can last a lot longer than that. So. Well, uh, the last two, it was actually, I got one 
I think it was on the Friday. And then I played again on the Monday. So I never went and got it diagnosed. Right. But I got hit with seeing stars. Did not feel good. And then I played again because it was like pretty big game in high school. Like we needed to win to get like bump up in the rankings or something. I don't even remember, but I played, got hit again, and I was just done for the yeah. next six months. Had symptoms for the next 18 months, had to wear glasses, and it was yeah. a mess. I, I think the thong and the bronzer suits you better now, my man. Now yeah, you don't have to worry yeah. about it. <laughs> I'll take my spray tan and my board shorts. There you go. Good stuff, man. Well, yeah, thank you again for going to that background. So we have a little bit of context of what you got now. You have all this background, you kind of gave into like an overview of like why or how you ended up to where you are now. What made you want to be a personal trainer or get involved in actually having a career in fitness? Yeah. So I wasn't really thinking about personal training as much of an option, like uh, until junior year where at the rec, I saw there was the prep course. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the first time I thought, oh, personal training could be kind of cool. Like let's apply, see what I get out of it. And while taking it, it was sort of like, you know, I could help other people sort of find the passion that I found with the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, where before it was sort of just going in, like the goals just for hockey, the goals just to increase my mile or whatever. Um, but it was more so teaching them to love the process and enjoy being in there. And I was like, that's something I could definitely help others do, um, and help them achieve their goals while learning that yeah that's so. awesome man. and i remember meeting i think awesome was in your class right i remember I'm like who yeah. are these two dudes are just coming in a bunch of me heads but they're also you guys were very very bright and you guys you know turned into wonderful personal trainers so it was great having you guys in that class among other people of course as well um i think you guys actually might have been my first class yeah, when no, i was we a were. GA there yeah it was you right. and uh you and brendan that's right. We're running the class. That's right, man. Yep. Steering the and ship. And then I the sat next way. to Brendan in like every class after that for our major. <laughs> I know. I, even the, the few like, because we got to do like two undergrad classes for GA or excuse me, for a grad program just to like kind of fill requirements. And I'm like, there's Audrey, there's Tess. It was so weird. I'm like, I'm seeing like half my staff here in class. This is so weird. Yeah. No, it, me, Audrey, Tess and Brent or and Austin were all in the same prep course. And then we were all in the same classes with like Brendan and we're like, all right, he's kind of our boss, but like <laughs> <laughs> we're in the same classes, yeah. but no, but it was, it was a good atmosphere because I think we walked that it's a tough line to walk. But I think we walked a good line of, of friendship and mentor throughout y'all's time there. I think it was beneficial because if you're too friendly and like too much, it can be a little, eh, it's like, do you respect the person? But if you're just a hard ass all the time, it's like, you know, F this guy, like this is not yeah. going to work here. Right. Yeah. So I've, I've had, both types. Yep. Yep. So I'm glad we could walk that line, even though it was, it was tough at times, but I think we did a decent job. So kind of got a little bit in your background, a little bit about how you got into the profession itself. Let's kind of go into hockey a little bit. This is really cool because I'm from South Florida and I'm not to say that Florida isn't popular in hockey, but you know, I have one. Tampa's got two cups. Tampa, Tampa is big on hockey, man. That is true. The South Florida, we're, we're pretty much, you know, basketball and football. Um, but, you know, and there's like an ice rink, maybe, you know, one there's like 10 miles from my house. And like, that's the only ice rink I know that's like in my immediate area. Um, but we do have, I do have a couple of clients that I've trained in the past that have, you know, backgrounds in hockey. I, 
I even reached out to you before when I had mm-hmm. a young athlete who was pretty competitive in, in a junior league. And so I was reaching out to you for some advice on programming. So just overall, for those who maybe aren't aware of how, can you just give like a brief summary of like, what are some rules of the game? And then we'll go into kind of some nitty gritty on the strength conditioning aspect. So the most basic rule of hockey, you got a rubber puck, little, little biscuit guy (laughs) goes on the ice, you know, slides around out there and you're using a stick, trying to put it into a net, but then you got two blue lines on each side of the offensive zones that you got to enter before you score. It would be offsides if one of your players precedes the puck into that zone. So if the puck comes out of the offensive zone, all offensive players need to leave the zone before someone enters the zone with the puck. You're able to dump the puck in when your players are still in there, but nobody could touch it. Otherwise, it's offsides. And if you are on your half of the ice, so there is a center ice line, which is red, if you dump the puck down on your side of that line, it'll be icing. Gotcha. So those are the basic rules. There's a bunch of penalties, interference, cross-checking, elbowing, hit from behind, um, interference, hooking, slashing, a bunch of ways to go sit in the penalty box and earn yourself two to five minutes. Gotcha. Yeah. And so the way that I've kind of looked at it, please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I've, I've worked with my athlete because he went away to, to a, a school to play hockey. So I haven't worked with him too long, but essentially hockey can be kind of thought of as like a high intensity sport with brief breaks where you're constantly switching out players. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a shift, typically what you want is about 40 to 45 seconds, anything longer you got caught out there, you're going to be gassed and you're going to probably have to ice the puck, take it offside, try to get a whistle. Very right. rare at the end of like a 45 second shift, you're going to be able to make it down the ice with any energy and be able to score. You know, sometimes you will, sometimes you'll get a lucky breakaway or be able to enter the zone two on one. But usually it's within that first 40 to 45 seconds of getting the puck, keeping possession. If you get caught with the puck going defensive zone, offensive zone, you have to start and stop and keep going both ways, extremely tiring, but you need to be able to stop on a dime and switch directions really quick and get your speed back. Yeah. So change of direction, uh, single leg, like power to be able to push off that ice, extremely important because skating is probably the number one skill for any hockey player to be better. And a lot of that comes down to leg strength and leg power. And agility. No, I, and that's exactly what, when I was speaking to you, you, you gave me like those exact messages, like, you know, plyometrics is going to be important. You got to be explosive. You got to have good agility, start and stop because the change in direction is always like adjusting constantly. Um, and then, like you said, the shifts are really short. So although the game itself can go up to about, is it 60 minutes? Yeah. You have two or three 20 minute periods. And then depending on the level, there could be overtime, which is usually in the NHL, it's five minutes of three on three, which usually okay. the same six to seven guys are going out. So those guys have to be able to constantly keep turning over. But usually you have four lines. So first, second, third, fourth, first line players will a good player. So say Patrick Kane, like he'll play 20 to 25 minutes a night. Um, and that's considered a lot. Whereas a fourth line guy might play a total of eight minutes in a game. Right. So it really depends on where you are in the lineup for how 
much cardio you need. So like the cardiovascular endurance, definitely not the primary where mm-hmm. you just need to have enough endurance, like anaerobic endurance to go that 40 seconds, get on the bench, recover for two minutes, get back out. Yep. And that's, it's funny you say that because the way I liken it to, and it's obviously not a one-to-one comparison, but it's somewhat similar to basketball where do you need like baseline aerobic conditioning? Yes. You need something, but are you training like an ultra endurance athlete? Absolutely not. It's a power-based sport. There's times where you are, you know, sitting in the corner, you know, waiting for a shot or you're, you know, walking down the court for five seconds and you're sprinting on like a turnover and trying to get to the basket. Right. In hockey, someone similar where you're constantly, you know, starting, stopping, maybe you're on defense and maybe you're not as involved in the moment of the play. Yeah. There, there's sometimes you won't be moving as much and you're pretty much just trying to angle the guy wide mm-hmm. um, or take a lane away. But usually you like say defenseman, he's in front of the net. He's going to be like stationary there, right. but there's right. going to be another offensive player on him that he's going to be battling and pushing around that entire time. Gotcha. So even though, he's not moving much. He's still exerting himself, trying to move. Then he's got to escape out of that quick, get the puck, try to get it out and then hope it's enough time to make a change if he's tired. So it's like, even standing around, you're still actively moving and exerting yourself. Yeah. So definitely emphasis on the, on the explosive glycolytic systems yeah. from a conditioning standpoint. Now, do you distinguish by position, meaning like from forward to defense to goalie? Like, would you, alter any of your conditioning principles or even we can go into strength training a little bit. Would you alter any of their strength training principles for positions? So I'm with, I'm with high school kids. Like they're all freshmen, sophomores right now. So I don't get too much into like positions and any like changes. Mm -hmm. Um, But at higher levels, like I know goalies, they'll take a back seat from some of the like hypertrophy work or some of the strength work Mm -hmm. because they're a little different. They'll be out there the full 60. So they're more endurance-based. Flexibility becomes their primary importance where they need to be able to get into a butterfly, need to be able to get in the splits, like extend their legs, extend their arms. So goalies would probably be the one outlier for positions, but centers, wingers, defensemen, all all the same because they'll all fill in each other's positions at some point in the game. Gotcha. And then from like a – so goalie aside from like the higher level, but general – uh, uh, strength protocols, would you kind of follow like the traditional like periodization model for sport? Where it's like, Hey, it's off season. We're doing like, you know, building up just a little bit of muscle mass then getting to some strength and then trying to convert that strength to power as we get close to the season. Or are there any kind of special considerations you can think about? So I didn't have a full off season with my team right now. So otherwise I would have done all hypertrophy work, learn the movements during the off season then slowly taper down more strength, get into more power movements or just fast explosive, like the same movement. Um, But they don't have the form Mm -hmm. down because it's the first time they've been weight training, like beginning of their season, like, Oh, we got to weight train. So it's sort of finding the balance of being able to find intensity and volume right now without overexerting them between practice and games. Um, but still being able to get the power the explosiveness while teaching them movements. I'm guessing most of them are so young or so like inexperienced in the gym that like they're going to benefit from anything. It's just about like building rapport, building adherence to a program and and staying safe, of course. Yeah. Like that's where we're at right now. It's 
my guys because there's 15 freshmen. Gotcha. Most of them never never touched a weight in their life. So periodizing them is going to be more difficult than if it was higher level. So when I was working with uh, the first company, when I got my CSCS, we were working with AAA, um, so higher level youth athletes. And we worked with any age group from 2010, so 2010 birth year to 18 years old. Okay. And all of them did the exact same workouts but it was the load and the intensity that varied between them. So like the younger age group, they still did the workout, but they're more doing it to try to learn and get the neurological uh, benefits from it. Whereas the older ones, you have more of the emphasis now on the intensity and the intent of why they're doing the exercise. Um, But from all age groups, it was pretty much the same. So like, even when I work with varsity as opposed to JV, like, I'm a little more strict on how they do the form and how they move the weight as opposed to JV where it's sort of like, I want them to do it without hurting themselves and learn how to do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that makes complete sense. I always tell people like, especially when someone's new, even for people who are advanced, you know, until they need it, like don't overcomplicate it, like start with the staples, build it up. And then when, and if things are going well, don't change them. Like, you know, there's something to be said for variety and, and, you know, especially with young kids, you got to keep them engaged and excited. So I get that. But people were like, Hey man, like I'm doing this program and I'm like benefiting, like, should I change? Like, no, do not change it. If the basics are working, like stay there until, you know, otherwise needed. So yeah, that like, makes I have, sense. I have a handful of exercises that I've given them and the different sort of mesocycles I've given them is just changing out an exercise, basically yeah. just changing it that way, but leaving like, reps and sets like six to eight right like keeping them pretty moderate but at a high enough intensity and just changing an exercise back to something maybe we did a few weeks ago or just putting something one new thing in to like progress them yeah progressing movement and emphasizing the movement over progressing the weights no couldn't agree more now of course this is gonna of course my thing is like you know you can't just arbitrarily assign exercises to someone without having someone so let's just look at this as like a case study Let's say you got a pretty seasoned person. Maybe they're like preparing to go to the NFL and they're doing like strength and conditioning with you. Do you have any like go-to exercises maybe to give some advice to young coaches who might work with uh, hockey players that are like really good staples from a strength training program? Like, do you put emphasis on lunging for single leg on uh, change All direction jumps, anything like that? Emphasis in the weight room, specifically when lifting a lot of single leg movements because when are you on two feet ever playing a sport? Yeah. Hardly ever. Very rare. You know, it's not like you're a lineman and you need a brace for contact. Yeah. Like you're on one leg, you're going to get hit by someone else when you're on one leg, train on one leg. So I love doing split squats, uh, any reverse lunge with a knee drive. Um, love doing like single leg RDLs where they stay on one foot, working on that balance too for their mm-hmm. ankles because that's huge for hockey players being enough ankle support. So just they're on that ankle long enough, just doing single leg RDL with knee drive, maybe add a weight on their chest. Um, And then other than that, a lot of back exercises and rotational exercises in the weight room. Um, Not as much pushing. Uh, A lot of hockey players will get shoulder injuries from getting checked into the boards. And usually the pressing could aggravate their AC joint. 
where you find a lot of them will have like AC joint pain gotcha. and pressing will just exaggerate it. Uh, so if I'm going to do uh, a pressing movement, it'll either be a light neutral grip press um, vertical or horizontal. Um, but I primarily focus on the back strengthen their back strengthen their shoulders so they could take that contact um, and then rotation for when they're shooting or passing you're on one leg, you're rotating, pushing, pulling motions with your hand on the stick. Uh, so that's sort of just how I think them. Um, they're skating on one foot. They have to rotate to shoot. They have to pull and push on the stick to shoot and pass. And then they're going to take contact. Mm -hmm. So how do we brace them for that? So those are sort of the five things I think of in the program to implement. And then before usually weight training, I'll have like an agility or a speed uh, portion before it. I usually don't do both in one day because I want to be able to emphasize one and focus on it and not just be exhausted for the other. Yeah. So if I'm doing agility, it's a lot of change of direction. So a typical like karaoke or lateral shuffle where people go all the way down, maybe 20 yards, go back. I like to have them do maybe one or two steps, especially on a karaoke where it's crossover to cross stop and keep going the other way. Uh, I like to implement that in the warm up usually. And then a lot of just change of direction uh, sprints. Nice, man. Yeah, those are good tips for anyone who's thinking about doing some programming. Now, when it comes to this, is something I've always wondered if maybe you can speak like anecdotally what you've seen as a coach. Speed is important in just about any sport, right? Of course, you know, start and stop agility is going to be crucial as well. How does speed on land translate to speed on the ice? Like, do you notice that it's pretty one-to-one? -one? Of course, you know, skill aside, right? Because it takes time to learn to skate. But like, if you see a guy who's like fast on the, on the curve or like has good agility on like the turf, did they have good translation or is there something else that they need to have that might be missing? If they are good skaters, then usually. Okay. If they are bad at using their edges, which is not something you could work on on land, then their agility is just not going to be there because now they're thinking about their skating. Mm, so okay. if they're on the ice, the number one thing they have to work on is their skating, their edge work, being able to use their edges before anything from land is going to translate. So you could work on stops and starts and it will teach you how to plant and go. But if you can't use your edges on ice, it's not, it's not going to do much. You're going to go, you're going to be focusing on stopping, stop slow, then have to find your footing again. So if they're a good skater, they might be way faster on ice than they are on land. Right. Like me, I can't <laughs> run fast for my life. I'm, I'm a meatball. I'm five, six, one eighty. like trying to sprint. Like, it doesn't happen, but skating, like that's my, my speed was my biggest attribute while playing. Gotcha. Do you think then like if you have access as a strength and conditioning coach, would it be advisable to do the majority of your work on the ice for, for agility, change of direction and speed? I like to implement it. So because I know that background, I'll do change of direction during our skating warmups. So I'll tell the players before we go one whistle, like start skating hard. So they skate hard, full out until they hear the next whistle, slow down. If you hear two whistles, stop and start. So stop one direction, go the other. And I might put those whistles super close together where it's stop, start, couple strides, stop, start, go the other way. Um, so you can do it on land, but it also has to be translated online or on ice. Mm -hmm. So 
that's something that should probably be communicated to their coach. If you're working with that coach and he's not the off ice guy. Um, And then even on the ice, like I'll do on ice sprints, like during practice, like at the end for their cardio, as opposed to usually running them during season. Very good, man. Yeah. I always, that's, that's good that you mentioned about the change direction on your cue. I often see like people will have, you know, drills where it's like, Hey, you're going to cut at this specific point, which is fine. Like there, you definitely want to start there. So the athlete can learn like how to cut, how to start and stop with a, on their own time, essentially. But you also got to have reactionary drills because you don't always get to dictate what happens in the game. You don't always get to get your opponent mm-hmm. is trying to not let you dictate what is happening in the game. So yeah. that's and that's something, the first place I used to be at, um, we did a lot of that. So it'd be when you hear the whistle, change directions like even on running so it's more reaction of how to stop and start as opposed to just like run to the 10 stop start run to the 20 stop start because they know where they're going but if they have to react to it that's at least something you could work on or it's reaction like oh puck's going that way got to react got to change directions quick um so giving them the the audio cues to change direction i find to be more beneficial than telling them to run to the 10 change directions come back Exactly. Now, also, like, because you've been around a lot of hockey players outside of like concussions, what would you say is like one of the more common injuries? Would you say it's like AC, knee, AC, like, and collarbone? Collar that would make sense. I'm guessing yeah. from all the or, checking and or wrist. Oh, okay. So this year we we've had a guy out with a broken wrist, and varsity had a guy out with a broken collarbone, um, and that's pretty typical from when I was playing that guys would miss time because of their collarbone, dislocated shoulder, um, maybe a knee. Uh, there's been ACL injuries with guys I've played with. Um, and then wrists are usually from slashes or going into the boards weird, but it's usually upper body okay. unless you have weird contact with someone. So if you go like knee on knee with a guy, maybe it's a hip, maybe it's a knee. Ankle injuries happen, but they're kind of rare, which is, I guess like, you're because you're so secure in the skate, like it yeah, you can't like really you're, roll too well. You're secure in the skate that you're not really going to roll it. Um, but there are guys who like uh, Michael Roseval, who used to play for the Blackhawks. Like in the playoffs one year, his foot literally turned the opposite direction while like transitioning. So like, there's a bunch of different stuff that happens, but I feel like it's usually shoulder from shoulder to shoulder contact or collarbone. Gotcha. So do your best not to get to get checked too hard, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> Strengthen up your back to be able to protect yourself. That's right. Or strengthen up. Put your weight up, kids. Rosie, your friend. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, that's cool. We got a lot of good insight on, on the hockey side. Now I want to transition over to bodybuilding, right? Completely different world. So you mentioned how you kind of got into a little bit, which is awesome. As someone who has gone to a show and done one, let's say someone's listening and they're thinking about doing their first show. What is some advice that you would give them and to help them prepare, whether it's physically, mentally, whatever it may be. So on show day, you can never prepare for the first time you're going to walk on a stage with the lights in your face, the judges and the audience. You could practice your routine a million times looking in the mirror. And once you step on that stage, whole new ball game. You don't know where to look. Um, <laughs> the nerves kick in because there's no mirror now. So you can't see how your posing looks. You can't tweak it. So if you're working on your posing, 
don't use a mirror. Like you need to be able to pose without that mirror and be able to have someone be able to give you the cues so you know how it feels instead of how it looks. Um, so that's the big thing. Like you could come in as conditioned, as big and as dry as you want. But if you don't have the posing to show that physique, no one cares. Like you're going to get last You're not going to place. So posing is definitely the number one priority because if that's not there, everything else doesn't matter. But after that, it's just be disciplined, be hard. It's going to be hard on you and make sure you have a support system who understands because not a lot of people understand the world of bodybuilding. Yeah. That's a really good piece of advice that I just, I didn't even consider up until this point is yeah. If you're looking in the mirror, you're, you're using a tool and an implement that you won't have on your day of your competition. Just like sport. It's like, if you're not going to use it on your sport, it may not be the most in the beginning, maybe just so you can see a visual, but like, as you get closer, like that makes complete sense, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you could use the mirror when you're posing, like practicing, but you need to step away from the mirror every once in a while and really focus on doing it without it. Like get comfortable without the mirror. What was the feeling like? Like you said, it, it's unlike anything you've ever you know experienced before. How would you describe it? Is it like, you know, first time doing a class presentation kind of feeling? Like what, what are you experiencing when you're on stage? Almost. It's, it's almost like that feeling when your presentation's up, you know, you're up. And you're getting out of your desk to walk in front of the class, like big lecture hall. And you're just like, please don't screw up. Please don't like <laughs> get stage fright. Like, cause the last thing you want to do is like make a fool of yourself. Um, but you really just got to stay calm. Like the lights are bright. Just don't picture anyone there. You could, it's hard to tell they're there. You just know they're there. Like you can't see anyone's face. You can hear people but you just got to sort of tune it out and know, like, look down at the judges. Like if you're going to focus on anything, look at their desk. Cause if you're looking up, your neck's going to look super long. You're going to look pretty funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go, kids, make sure you practice that a mirror a little bit and do your best to stay calm. Now, yeah. when you're, when you're practicing posing, just know they're looking up at you. They're not gotcha. looking head on. So when you're posing, smart, practice smart. with your eyes looking down and not straight ahead, because if you're straight ahead, they're just going to see this and it's going to make everything look a little off. That makes complete sense. Now, from a programming standpoint, and again, I've worked with a little bit of bodybuilding, but it's not my expertise. So please, I'm here to learn. So correct me if I'm wrong, but from a programming standpoint, the way that I kind of view it, no pun intended, is it is hypertrophy training on steroids. Whereas you're trying to maximize development of muscle mass, but you're also trying to make sure that you are looking for things that are pure aesthetic, meaning symmetry, meaning full development of the muscle, meaning maybe of a particular focus for the show that you're trying to emphasize because you didn't do as well in that area last time. And of course that means the dietary pattern becomes a little bit stricter, especially towards your meat. So you have to figure out ways to kind of clean that up Would it. Would you kind of say that's kind of correct, Robert? Yeah. So a lot of the training, you know, if you haven't done a show, you haven't cut, you might not know what your weak point is. Like if you've never been stage ready, bone dry, like you might know like, all right, my lats could get wider, my chest get a little bigger, but you won't know what that necessary weak point is if you've never done one before. But once you get that feedback, 
Now it's like, all right, that should be your emphasis. Like my weak point, I know it's my chest, like just my insertions, just hurting my shoulders, separating both times. Like I don't get good contractions on my chest. So it's like, that's been my emphasis. So when I'm training chest, I'm trying to focus on the contractions over the weight and focus on getting quality reps and quality contractions throughout the entire thing, trying to keep control and keep the tension on my chest. Um, and even like nutrition wise, like on my chest days, I will eat more than I do on other days. So I'll add like maybe 50 grams of carbs extra prior to training chest, just so I have a little extra to be able to push that muscle group and push the intensity on it. Yeah. It's funny you say about chest, like I'm the same way where for a while, like I had bird chest syndrome and like I could not develop my chest at all. Luckily, Austin helped me a little bit with programming for hypertrophy and then I've made it a, a point of focus. So I've, it's definitely helped. But yeah, it's 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 hard for me to get good contraction. Like bench press, like I don't really feel on my chest much at all. Yeah, I I'm actually taking bench completely out. Like I go in phases where like I'll take be- put it in, take it out, put it yeah. in, take it out. Cause it's like easy to see like that progressive overload on it. It's like, yes. all right, I added a rep, I added five pounds, but like, but it didn't get bigger. Like, what's going on? Really crossing. <laughs> no, you're not. You're, you're exactly never right. Like you're never adducting your arm across your body on a bench. Yeah. So it's taking away like half of the movement from your chest. Exactly. So you don't really care how much you can lift with bodybuilding. It no. doesn't really matter if you're able to activate more muscle fibers than a guy doing more weight, you'll get more growth. You're keeping exactly. more tension on that muscle, which is the overall goal. And so that's if you can whole... simulate that muscle enough. Oh yeah. Weight doesn't matter. That's a extent. whole other podcast, man. You know, we could definitely get, <laughs> and maybe I'll get you and Austin on to talk about this. Cause yeah, there's still, it's an old school thought, but it like, it seems keep, it, it seems to keep popping up. Is that like, you got to lift big or lift heavy to get big. And it's like, that's the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to like the adaptation. Like if you lift very heavy, yeah. I mean, if you're brand new to training and you lift heavy, you're going to see some benefit probably yeah. short term, but if you train, lift heavy, you'll get strong. You'll get strong, but strong doesn't, doesn't, doesn't necessarily big. mean you'll get big. Exactly. You're not exactly. like, you're not going to put on much muscle with the one to six no. rep range. Like you no. might put some on and then like, there's a place where like, all right, maybe you want to do between one and six. Yeah. But like, you're not going to go in and do three exercises, four sets of two no. and expect to put on muscle. There's no, that's no volume. You, you no. can't. No, like bodybuilding's more exercise selection. Yes. Rep scheme selection, knowing what to prioritize and knowing how to target that specific area. So for me, I train three days on right now, one day off three on. So I'll go push, pull, leg, rest, push, pull, leg, rest. And I'll just keep rotating right now. I was doing push, pull, leg, push, pull, leg, rest. So six on way too much fatigue adding up where I was just feeling drained, wasn't able to get contractions anymore. Just kept breaking down muscle. So I had to pull back. So once the intensity gets high too, like program has to, has to change. Cause now you need to recover. You need to prioritize recovery over the exercise, be able to get that muscle to grow. But when choosing the exercise selection on my push days, like my shoulders are a strong point. So why would I do shoulders before I hit chest? Right. I'm going to hit all my chest first, then go into shoulders. What's the priority with men's physique having wide cap shoulders. So going to target the lateral head of the delt first, 
target the posterior head because that's what they'll be looking at from the back shot. And then maybe a little front delt, maybe a little anterior delt if you want to throw it in. But if it's already a strong point, you've done enough pressing, you really don't need to do much. I do maybe two to three sets of anterior delt, like yeah, in my workout. This is such a small tangent, but you said something. You you just glazed over it, but you just like need to put this in quotes, dude. Is like your workout program does not need to be defined by Monday through Sunday. Like Robert said, he does three on, one off, three on, one off. So he's not doing the exact same thing on Monday every single week. You do not have to structure your program to where it's like, how do I fit all this in a week? It's like it doesn't have to be in a week, man. That's I'm very OCD. <laughs> like, so that's, that's how I did structure it. Like in college, yeah, yeah. like there was days, like, how do I fit this I would, in a week? It's not, I would sense. train seven days a week where I would go chest, try <laughs> then back by then legs, then chest, shoulders, then arms, then back shoulders, and then legs again. Cause I was yep. like, I need to hit every muscle group twice in that week. Yep. <laughs> and being newer to it, like, yeah, I'm going to see progress. Like yes. it's a new adaptation of my body. I'm going to see that progress. So you're like, I, I need to keep lifting like that over time. I got to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. If I keep training like that over time, I'm going to stay the same because I'm not able to push intensity. I'm not able to recover. I'm just going to break down the muscle fibers. Like I was literally going chest, shoulders, hitting my tries again, hitting shoulders the next day. So three days in a row, my triceps were getting work. Yeah. Like my shoulders were like a strong point probably because of it, but like, my arms wouldn't grow. My chest wouldn't grow probably because I was overdoing it. Yeah. And then I pushed back to the push, pull leg, push, like push, pull leg started seeing more progress. Cause now I'm taking a rest day and it got to a point where it's like, all right, I'm plateauing. I need to change something. I'm not going to just keep pushing intensity because that's what's lacking is I can't keep pushing weight heavier and heavier for more reps. I need, to be able to recover so what do i do all right let's take a step back put an extra rest day in it's not going to be that perfect monday through sunday program and it's going to vary each week so one week i'm going to lift five days a week the next might be six it just it depends on where everything falls in and that's usually totally like today's wednesday so usually today would have been legs i hit back today for the first time in a while and i was like yeah. all right this actually feels good i'm recovered that's cool, man. And yeah, that's cool too, because like, if you're someone who gets bored easily, it probably takes like the, like, you know, mundane, like, oh, every Monday is this, every Tuesday is this. So you got a little change yeah. up every now and again. Good stuff, man. Now, when it comes to, I just want to give people like a brief overview of like what programming could look like. Just, just some like brief principles. So let's say you finished the show, right? So you just finished a, a nice prep. You, you walked across stage you know, you didn't fall victim to the lights of the moment and you got your trophy, you walk out, take a couple weeks off, relax, enjoy yourself. And now you got a new meet coming up, let's say somewhere in the six to 12 month range. So you got a good amount of time to prepare. Mm -hmm. What is kind of yeah. like your breakup of programming from a strength or excuse me, from a lifting and cardiovascular standpoint over that span of time? So coming off of a show, some, some people like to incorporate a little more cardio for the extra food. Um, but I personally, I wasn't doing any cardio on prep already, so I wasn't going to add any in. I was just going to slowly increase my food and keep sort of training how I was, um, try to get strength back. Cause your strength is going to be way down. Um, as you get closer to the show, like I didn't want to use dumbbells. I didn't want to use barbells. 
So I was just using a lot of machines, getting contractions that way. So coming out of the show, I took a couple, couple days off, try to recover a little bit. Um, but I didn't want to stay out long. I know people who stay out for months. Uh, there's a guy I actually know who just went pro. He stayed out of the gym for four months to get his blood work right. Oh, wow. So his blood was all messed up. So he took care of that before getting in. And there's a lot of people who'll do that. Um, but I didn't have any issues with my blood work. So I just got back to uh, training and it was more trying to implement exercises I wanted to use to grow. So I would take that feedback where it was like, work on your chest, work on your traps. Okay. What part of my chest needs work? Upper chest. Okay. I need to add more incline movements. Maybe don't focus on as much on decline. So maybe I'm trying to work back up to dumbbell incline bench or barbell incline bench, which and now are you doing that like out of the gate or are you more so kind of like starting from a, from a, like a general, like building strength and like general yeah, so or are you I'm, starting from the gate? I'm starting at where I was during prep. Okay. So what were the exercises I was doing one week out? Like what weight was I doing? Gotcha. And then I'm building almost backwards. Like I this see. is where I stopped doing these. All right. Take like four weeks build strength back up with these exercises that you were doing slowly transition back into maybe using free weights, go lighter, get used to that again and try to implement that. So I, I wanted to use a Smith machine incline and a dumbbell incline as my two primary like chest movements. So I would use a hammer strength incline or a plate loaded incline, like going out of the show. And after a few weeks, when I started feeling strength coming back, started gaining some weight, I'd start adding the other exercises in. Because when you're coming out of it, you're going to be tired. Right. You're going to exhaust yourself just getting those dumbbells up. So no point adding it in right away. Just work on using the extra calories, try to get the benefit from it. Cause your metabolism is going to love those extra calories going in, <laughs> try to put on some muscle by just overloading with those same exercises your body's already used to. Nice. And then as you get closer to your meat, I'm guessing volume goes up gradually over time, maybe gets more specific with your exercises. The week of it actually goes down the week of, so right. the like week of the show kind of. almost. So the week of the show, you want the muscles to be able to recover. Okay. You want them to be able to fill up, be full. You don't want to have any muscle breakdown. So that week you're pretty much going in. You're trying to get some pumps, try to fill the muscles with blood, but you're not trying to go close to failure and tear those muscles. I see. Because you want to be able to go in, carb up, maybe have a little bit of fluids or sodium, fill your muscles up. But if you're breaking down that muscle, like you're going to have to get a pretty heavy lift in to get a pump going. So, but if your muscles aren't torn, they'll fill easier. Gotcha. So that week going in, sometimes your cardio might increase, but the intensity in, with the weights is going to probably go down. Okay. Like leading into it, I did three workouts that week. So every other day, and it was just full body pump, like pick one exercise per muscle group, just do a pump, like go 50% of what I used the week before and just same amount of reps and just try to get the muscle to contract. I see. And now in general, as a cardio recommendation, what would you recommend for people and how would it look kind of over the course of a, of a prep? Would it be more focused on, on lists where you have low intensity and you're just working on 
trying to burn primarily fat as a fuel source without compromising your muscle mass too much by doing it for like three, four hours a day kind of thing? It depends per person. Okay. So I can't say like everyone needs to be doing 30 minutes, like six, seven days a week, like fasted right in the morning, post-workout. Uh, yeah, do an hour in the morning, hour at night. Cause I had none. I didn't have to do cardio. Like my diet was clean enough. And I was in a point before that just pulling back the food, I was able to get my conditioning there without adding the extra cardio. I see. Um, I, I don't like the excessive amount of cardio. I just think if you're doing that, you might not be ready. You might've had to start prep earlier or push your show off because either you were at too high of a body fat before, or you're just not, your nutrition's just not there. Like you're still eating too much. If you need to do excessive amounts of cardio, you're probably going to burn muscle. You're probably going to waste muscle away doing all that extra exercise. So if you're able to just cut without the excessive amounts, like normally like someone at low cardio, he's doing 30 minutes a day fasted. Like That's if you can do that, just burn 150, 200 calories. Like, cool. It's nothing crazy. But if you have to sit there for three hours, twice a day doing cardio, you are doing something else wrong. Yeah. And so a, I think cardio should be used as a tool to help with the weight loss, but it shouldn't be your primary way of like losing weight for it. The diet has to be on point before you do the cardio. Yeah. Bodybuilding is one of those. It's like, you know, it's a, a land of extremes where the little details matter. Right. So when it comes to, you know, low intensity training, you know, or low intensity cardiovascular training, you know, for the general person, I'm always going to recommend them to get their cardio in. First. Yeah. Like Basic it's health. usually less. Um, yeah. There's yeah. times they ha- do hit if they really need to burn calories, but it's usually going to be less, especially closer to prep. Like you're going to be exhausted. Like you're not going to want to sprint. And it's probably just going to do more harm to your nervous system than anything. Right. Um, But I think it's a very just normal. It's been normalized that you have to do cardio on prep. Like, I don't think it's something you have to do. I think it's just something that's watching videos. Everyone's like, oh yeah, I did two, two hours of cardio. And like, it's just been adopted as like a norm that you have to do it. Well, like you said, if it's all, if you're doing too much lists, there becomes a point where the trade-offs for your fat loss and potential weight loss, if that is part of your prep, uh, now starts interfering with muscle cross-sectional area, muscle protein synthesis, et cetera. Or even recovery. Or recovery, right. Because now you're adding, that's and that's more time and that's more effort in the gym, even though- More stress on the body. More stress on the body, how that affects your your mind for the prep, because I imagine that's ruling. And then you have, well, maybe I can do, like you said, high-intensity training where, okay- I am not maybe going to compromise the muscle as much because I'm using more glycolytic systems, but then the effort is higher. And like, can you sustain that when you're three or four weeks out from a meet when I'm sure you're not feeling the best and you're not at like your highest level in terms of conditioning and performance? I was hardly able to walk into work and pay attention to the programs I was writing, let alone go sprint. (laughs) Like you're, you get such a brain fog that, anything more neurologically taxing is at least for me would have done more harm than good. Like, again, everyone's going to be different. Like every coach is going to coach differently for a prep. 
And some, their coaching methods might not work for you. They might be very particular that they love low carb diets. They love doing a high fat, trying to get you into ketosis, doing a keto diet. Like no carbs is better. But for me, I was still eating 225 grams of carbs at my low. And I was, I dropped from 168 to 153 without cardio, just by pulling back a little bit on my carbs each week. But for me, it was easy. For some people, maybe that doesn't work for them. Maybe they aren't carb sensitive. Maybe they resp- their body responds better to eating white rice as opposed to potato. Maybe white rice makes them hold water. Like everyone's going to be different in that sense of what they should eat and what their breakdowns of macro should be. Yeah, just like any aspect of personal training, yeah. you have to tailor it to the individual, man. Yeah, one of my current clients, he was he dropped a lot of weight. We got him down from when he started working with me. Uh, he was 210. He was 265 on his own, came to me at 210. We got him down to 180. And then we we stopped his cut there, gave him a little bit of a break because it was about 16 weeks, just taking it slow, um, try to ramp up, build some muscle. And we were trying to maintain at 190. And I increased his carbs by 25, not much, just 100 calories. And his weight spiked. So he was very carb sensitive. So his car, like when he eats carbs, like his insulin is going to spike and he's going to store more water with those carbs for whatever reason. Uh, I don't understand why wish I did, but when we pulled those carbs back out, he dropped eight pounds in a week. That's 700 calories for eight pounds. That's not all fat. No, can't be. Because carbohydrates have water in them. He's storing a bunch of water with his carbs because he's super carb sensitive. So that's just something about him that we need to know. Like if we want him to lose weight, probably pull back on the carbs and have him have a higher fat diet than carbs. Now, are you intentionally trying to lose a certain amount or just, I guess, as you get closer to the date of your show, is the emphasis on losing water weight? So... It will depend on the class. So men's physique, what I compete in, there's no weight cap. But say I was to go classic physique or open bodybuilding, for my height, there's a weight cap that you need to hit that weight. Okay. So usually for me, it's all aesthetics. Like, how are you looking? Like, is your skin tight? Are you cut? Are you dry? If you're not, pull back on the water. So are you filling up? Are you still able to fill up? Because if you're pulling too much water, you need the water to fill the muscles. You need the water for digestion still. It's about so having stomach act. issues with less, especially like the day of and day before when you're pulling water, it's like you still need to be able to fill up. And if you're not having any fluids, you really can't. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, oh, no water, no water. Got to keep cutting it all. Like water's all bad. Like it's all just going to store where it's like, you need a little bit to digest and be able to get those calories into your muscles. <laughs> you need to drink some water to live my guy. Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's actually a big thing with uh, pro bodybuilding recently. It's like, they're all like been slamming the diuretics yeah. and there's been, there's been ones that have died because they've just overdone yeah. like you took too much diuretics when your body needs water. You're not drinking water and you're just abusing diuretics. 
I'll never forget when I was, this was back in high school, but I was sick and I had to go on a diuretic for a little bit. And within a matter of about, oh, three to four weeks, I, cause you're, if anyone's been on diuretic, you literally will be one minute sitting down the next minute you have to empty your bladder and you can't believe how much you just peed. And then an hour later, it'll happen again, where I went from about 165, 170 to like 130 in a matter of about a, a month of just, you know, pissing out just all the water yeah. in my body. It was you, crazy. You hold a lot of water. Like, yeah. From, so peak week, the week leading up to the show, I probably lost about five to six pounds extra of just water. So we didn't really prioritize like water during the rest of it. Like we didn't focus on like, Oh, how much are you drinking each day until a couple weeks out? But then it was very specific. It's like, drink two gallons, drink two gallons a day, drink one gallon, drink one and a half, drink half a gallon. And it got into just seeing like how my body looked with a certain amount of water, but then being able to drink enough where you're able to flush it and still digest because you were eating a lot more food, trying to carb up almost like almost like a carb load. Yeah. Now the last thing I want to ask you is about mentality because this you know, some call it an art form, a sport, whatever you, people want to call it. I would argue, I've never done it, so I can't speak, but from those I've talked to and, and watching like the discipline it requires, from like a psychology and mentality standpoint, it looks like one of the harder things to do. What, can, what would you, you give can, like advice-wise for that? You can be one of the hardest working people, think you're very self-controlled, but there it becomes a point where like you will become tempted. Like, so my first prep, I was living at Purdue in my own apartment. Like I decided what food came into that house or into my apartment right now I'm living at home. I don't decide everything that comes around me. Yep. So there's one day super hungry, super tired, come home. Family's eating P- Lou Malnati's pizza. And normal me, like, I don't like Lou Malnati's, but you see it and you want it. And then it's looking at you in the fridge. Every time you open it to get your chicken, to get your salmon, to get your cod, and you see pizza, you see cheesecake, you see fruit, you see a bunch of this stuff that you're like, I can't have that right now. And it becomes hard. Like, I, there was a few times where I did like slip and I had something. And my coach knew, he knew he was like, there's something not right right now, but it just comes down to, you need to have a support system that understands. Um, I don't think my family completely understood what bodybuilding was and what a prep was. They're like, Oh, like, why are you eating the way that you are? And it's like, well, if I change something in my diet and something about my weight or how I look changes, is it because I changed my macros or is it because I changed the food I was eating? Like, did my body respond different to that food or did it respond different to the macro change? Mm-hmm. And that's something you don't know if you're not as consistent with what you eat. So that little slip up, that little like sort of cheat when you shouldn't be cheating, like it can have an impact of knowing like what was the real factor of why I dropped weight or why I looked fuller today. Um, but so luckily my, my girlfriend, she, she wants to do a bikini show at some point. So she understands like she's in the same like world of bodybuilding and understands and was able to sort of keep me grounded. But with that comes like 
when you're tired, you are very frustrated at the little things that they have to sort of understand that you might become a little snappy at times just because of what you're going through. But after going through it, like a full prep, a full show at this point, like I'm more aware of how I acted during it and how I thought during it mm-hmm. that I'm hoping that the next one I'm able to sort of go in more even keel and control myself with like food temptations or getting frustrated or snapping about little things that don't matter. Um, and it comes down to just having people around you that understand. Like they always it, say, right? It's a You're very not- weird. Like it is a very weird sport. <laughs> Normal people who don't work out like consistently, like they will not understand. Like if your family doesn't work out, they don't understand bodybuilding. They'll be like, um, okay, so you're going to go dance up on stage naked. Cool. <laughs> you have a beauty pageant coming out. Wait, you're not a stripper. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're not getting paid for this. <laughs> like you said, man, it's, you're not you and you're hungry and, and it's good to have a support system, but mm-hmm. it's, it's cool to hear that advice from someone who's like gone in firsthand has gone some coaching and, you know, came in on the other side and is, is still prepping for the future. So Appreciate yeah, all that the, insight, the most relieving thing is stepping off stage and just seeing like food that you can <laughs> eat now. Like I, I don't condone like the binge eating after a show. You're just going to do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. But like having a cookie right after no better mental no clearing thing than that, knowing like you are able to eat it. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate your time, man. I'm going to go actually stuff my face too. Cause I'm on the bulk. So I need to get some calories in. Yeah. Where? I still have uh let's see what you got. I have 70 carbs, 20 protein and 17 fat to go for the day. There you go. A little late night snack coming up. Maybe a hot dog with some ketchup on it. Right. <laughs> Maybe not tonight, but definitely. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for coming on, but where can uh, people find you and any info on, on coaching if you're offering at this time? Yeah, so I am offering online coaching. I have a couple clients right now and I have a couple open spots. Um, my only requirement is that you stick to the plan and you don't just not communicate. So communication is key with an online coach when they're not going to see you. And that's all I ask for is communication and that they are doing the work that I assigned for them. Um, but so my Instagram is Robert DeChala underscore fit. So R-O-B-E-R-T-D-I-C-I-A-U-L-A underscore F-I-T. So if you're interested in coaching, shoot me a DM, shoot me a message, even if you're just like interested in talking about bodybuilding or interested in doing a show and you just want to know more, like always open to just talk to people. And I'll be sure to put that in the description anyone. Um, again, like I said, if you're, you know, looking to do a show, Robert's got good experience and maybe even in the strength and conditioning realm, he knows a thing or two about hockey, obviously. So be good to hit up, but y'all know where to find me, uh, at the underscore shift underscore method on Instagram and, uh, TikTok. You can also go to, uh, theshiftmethod.org. We still got apparel. We still got coaching options. I only got about two spots left for online coaching that is filling up. So. If you are interested, please go ahead and click any of those take action buttons on my webpage, or you can just message me on Instagram again at the underscore shift underscore method. Robert, pleasure talking with you, bud. You have a wonderful night. All right. Have a good rest of your night. Later, y'all.